And welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove, and sitting across the table from me, it's a man who loves a good dosacero. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, I do indeed, though it feels like it's been a while since last we saw one. It has been a while. Today we are going to be talking about not the first ever dosacero, but what I'm going to call the mainstreaming of Dos Acero, yeah. right? So if people don't know, Dos Acero is like the US beats Mexico 2-0. It's mm-hmm. a result that has... Repeated quite a few times over the years. The first one in memory for a lot of people is the 91 Gold Cup semi-final. There was one in 2000. Everyone remembers that one, of course. I think some players do. There was one in 2001 World Cup qualifying. But the big one Mm -hmm. is the 2002 World Cup in the round of 16, USA versus Mexico. It finishes 2-0 to the USA. That's the game we're going to be reviewing on today's Soccer 101. Yes, it is indeed. And it's a game that I remember fondly, maybe not as fondly as the USA-Portugal game, just because that came so out of nowhere and was so all over the place and finished so dramatically. So too did this one, but in different forms of drama, Mm -hmm. I guess I should say. And there was so much on the line here, though, right? Uh Because winning this game puts the US into the quarterfinal. Against some cheaters. Against Germany. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, rewatching this game, we can talk about who handballs during games. Well, there's that. Well, there's that. Well, there's that. We'll get, yes. to, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, so so I, this puts the U.S. into the World Cup yeah. quarterfinal, which is the best performance by a U.S. national team in the modern era of mm-hmm. the World Cup, right? There's a semi-final back in the 30s. It's, it's kind of not the same thing. No, right? it's not. No, it's definitely not. Uh, so it's, it's, it's significant for the United States in that regard. It's significant for Mexico in the opposite way. Yes. That, like, I remembered this past World Cup, like, talking about are they going to get the quinto partido? Are they going to make it to the quarterfinals? It means fifth game, right? Because the quarterfinals is the fifth game. Because they historically do not. I kind of forgot that this game plays into that because it's being eliminated by the United States in the knockout round. Once again, they do not get to the fifth game. So lots and lots of drama in this game. Um, if you don't know, 2-0, the goals are from uh, Brian McBride and Landon Donovan. It's kind of a classic US performance. We're going to get into it. But I also want to talk about who's on the field. It's a strange thing. Because the people um, on the field for the US, many of them are in positions of authority for the US national teams right now. You've got uh, Ernie Stewart enters the game later. Mm -hmm. He is now sporting director of uh, all US soccer programs. You've got Brian McBride at front. He's the general manager of the men's national team. And playing left centre back. Greg Berhalter, mm-hmm. current, at time of recording, U.S. men's national team head coach. And Kate Margraff, unused substitute. So <laughs> it, had we have gotten that one, we would have brought it full circle. I'm sure she was watching. So I'm that. sure she was yeah. too, yes. <laughs> Thinking, oh, I've already won this tournament. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> get on my level. <laughs> Are you ready to get into it? Um, I am. I just want to say, like, I remembered Ernie Stewart and Ernie Stewart being, like, Ernie Stewart who he is now. And same thing for Brian McBride. He endures. I think the, probably the last time I watched this, I wasn't so focused on Greg Berhalter. And yeah, it's yeah. weird to really care about what a left center back is doing and yes. trying to, like, oh, he split three people with that pass. Is that, uh, does that inform his philosophy today? Is there a weird thing of judging him by his yes. own stated principles? Yeah. And this, like, this youngish guy who's playing mm-hmm. for the U.S. national team, he has yeah. no idea what he's going to say in 20 years' time. Well, it's just like I saw the moment when he it's gets— not fair, is he what gets, No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> who, is it Luis Hernandez who, do, who dives in the second half? Yes. Uh, when that happens and you see Berhalter get very, very angry, 
angry, I did have this flash of like, oh, he must really have not enjoyed losing to Mexico these last two times. Because you forget, like, these national team players, it becomes their arch rival. It's a team that they love beating and hate losing to. He played in the biggest mm-hmm. USA-Mexico game of all time. That's there what I'm is. calling this. That's yeah. why this is so important, right? It's the biggest USA-Mexico game of all time because it happened yes. at the World Cup. It gave the US bragging rights for at least a decade. It sure did. Yeah. It sure did. Oh, okay. Let's, let's brag about it, him, shall we? Let's brag about it. Well, the tactics. Mm-hmm. For the first time in this tournament, yep. Bruce Arena, in his first stint as US national team coach, went with a back three. The rest of the tournament, it had been a sort of 4-4-1-1, four, four, one, one, mm-hmm. right? This, this time, it was essentially a 5-3-2. Five, 5-3-2 three, two. Five, three, mm-hmm. two. completely changed the tactics to either match what Mexico were doing, because Mexico were playing a back three, or, in Bruce Arena's own words, because of suspensions and injuries. Right. So there's no Frankie Haydick due to suspension. He'd Dave, been the left back for the first right. few games. Right? Uh, David Regie injured for this game. Uh, Jeff Agus injured slash, uh, like, um, how do we say this? Like, Grassy Knoll injured <laughs> after his performance against Portugal. He scored that own goal. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so I think the United States coming into this one, they have to sort of come up with a makeshift 11. But I do think, to something that you alluded to, it's probably 50-50 or some percentage uh, approximating that of injuries and what we kind of needed to do in order to get a result combined Mm -hmm. with counteracting what Mexico had been doing and the way Mexico were very likely and ended up doing in terms of their approach. So let's go through the US lineup because I'm just realizing that people haven't watched the game intently like we did. Mm -hmm. By the way, the YouTube link is in the show notes if you want to watch this game. It is great. It's got the lineups on either side, like listed lineups. Who's number 18? Oh, there we go. Okay, right, right, right. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's not high def. It is not. But it's not terrible either, right? Uh-huh. It's just good enough def. I should, all right, you're right. I should clarify. J-G-E-F. It, it's J-G-F. <laughs> there it is. I should clarify. <laughs> it was more of like, it wasn't like who's number 18. It was more of like, who's that blob that I think is wearing number 18? <laughs> and I can tell there's an 18 on the side. So, it's yeah. good enough. You can see the yeah. 18. All right, so the US 11 in a 5-3-2. I want to go through it. Mm-hmm. In goal, it's Brad Friedel. It is. Brad Friedel in goal. The back three is Eddie Pope, centre-centre-back. Right centre-back is Tony Sanna. Left centre-back is Greg Berhalter, mm-hmm. who I don't think had played at all in the tournament so far. He definitely hadn't started a game in the tournament so far. And now he had. Here's the interesting part. The wingbacks yeah. are, on the left side, Eddie Lewis, which doesn't seem so strange now, but at the time, Eddie Lewis was 100% mm-hmm. a left winger. He doesn't start transitioning to playing left back until three or four years later when Leeds United give it a go with mm-hmm. him. Right? So it's weird for Eddie Lewis, left winger, to be playing left wing back. On the right, Claudio Reyna. Mm-hmm. Our star central midfielder, our captain, our number 10, playing right wing back. This is the weirdest tactical move possibly in the history of United States soccer. I mean, I think you liked it so much that you tried to uh, draft Claudio Reyna as a right back in yeah, our fan- fantasy it. national team 11. Yes, I did. And, uh-huh. I, and I stand by that decision. You do stand by it? I do. Why, why do you stand by it? Because number one, this was a complete outlier performance. And number Fair two, enough. I also don't think he necessarily proved himself to be a great right back. <laughs> I think he proved himself to be an okay right back. He has the MLS assist on the, on the first goal. He certainly does. Yeah. But he did look like a man playing out of position. Yeah, right? there, was, there was a few times when he was definitely content to show that the attacker inside and if like yeah, yeah. you're not shooting directly off of me I'm fine with it That's, yeah sort of like yeah. past the, past the problem yeah, he also bit. weirdly from right wing back drifts into central midfield yeah. a lot I think he's slightly forgetting where he's That's supposed where to be That's where learned it man <laughs> <laughs> but the, the second goal we'll get into the details of the goals the mm-hmm. second goal involves Claudio Reyna accidentally drifting into midfield and then hitting a nice pass to, yeah. to set the, uh, the counter attack away yes but I think uh, uh, Bruce Arena talking about that decision said like it was basically we kind of relied on his like veteran know-how to get us through he says, if there was ever a time mm-hmm. that Claudio gave for the team, that was it. Yeah. And by the way, if you want to see a load of these quotes come from an Ariel Castillo um, 
oral history mm. of this game for MLSsoccer.com. That link will also be in the show notes. It's definitely worth a read. Um, and I don't want to jump too far like ahead to the goals. I just want to say that you could see his sort of veteran presence and awareness in that first goal, if nothing else, like the way he uh, spots the vulnerability and exploits yeah, yeah. it. I think it makes sense then why Bruce Arena, in looking at his options, didn't just go with a back four and move Tony Santa to right back. I think he wanted to have the numbers in the middle. And I think to do that, he had to have some people kind of deputizing in various spots. He went with Reyna. It seems to have worked. I think part of the deal was Reyna and Lewis were told, okay, you're going to be wingbacks, but basically stay home. Yeah. Right? Apart from the two goals, we'll get into, again, we'll get into the details of them. Apart from the two goals, mm-hmm. they mostly just hang back. Yeah. And the US has a kind of a really um, uh, connected and narrow back three that is not leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got protection on the flanks by Reyna and Lewis staying home. Mm-hmm. All right, should we move on to the, the central midfield? Let's do it. Central midfield is... Pablo Mastroeni. Mm-hmm. It's John O'Brien. It is. And then, sort of just ahead of them, but really part of the midfield three, young Landon Donovan, 20-year-old Landon Donovan. It, it was odd, because I, I kept expecting... Like, if, if you go with conventional wisdom on what we know now, knowing that Landon Donovan was a like right midfielder, right winger at the time, it's like, oh, so Claudio Reyna plays centrally, and Landon Donovan is the right wing back. Uh-huh. That's 100% what I thought it was going to be. To see him being the number 10 at 20 years of age and clearly having a lot of responsibility in where he needed to be and who he needed to mark, yep. it speaks volumes about how uh, highly uh, thought of he was from Bruce Arena. Absolutely, because one of Donovan's main jobs was stick to the number six Torado, yep. right? Mexico clearly wanted to pass into the feet of Torado and build through their number six. Yeah. Donovan was on him almost the whole time. Mm-hmm. A couple of times he wasn't. Torado made yeah, some things made happen. happen. But most of the time, Donovan stuck to his job, but then was available to be a real pacey counter-attacking yeah. threat. I think yeah. That, yeah, and I think, to your point, the, the spine of Mexico was indeed the spine of Mexico. It was Rafa Marquez, it was Torado, and then it was Borghetti up top. Yeah. And you could tell that they wanted to get the ball to Marquez, they spread the centre-backs wide immediately, so he's got time on the ball, he has outlets, but he's definitely trying to look to Torado, who wants to turn on the half-turn, play in Borghetti. They went for that a lot of, yeah. of the time, and it didn't really work. I would say Mexico's plan was that spine, and then a floating Katomic Blanco. Yes. right. He was allowed to go wherever he wanted, but Mascherani was told go with him whoever he wants to exactly. go. Essentially, yeah. Mastroeni man-marks uh-huh. Blanco, gets dragged all over the place, so the U.S.'s shape looks crazy at mm-hmm. some points, right? Because Mastroeni, if Blanco goes to the left wing, then Mastroeni is suddenly playing wide right mm-hmm. instead of being a central midfielder. That's not how I remembered this game. I remembered Mastroeni staying central and being the screen. He wasn't. He was a follower. He marked Blanco yeah. kind of out of the game was quite happy to kick him a few times as well. Yeah, oh, certainly. And I think that was that was definitely part of what the United States were doing. They knew it was going to be physical. They were aware of uh, their past games against Mexico, and so I think they brought that to the table. Yeah. And I think for Mexico, for their part, uh, Javier Aguirre, he makes some substitutions. I think he recognizes that things are not going right. Well, we'll get into that in a But bit. this would be a good example of where Blanco drifting all over the place to try to find space. Nowadays, I feel like we would see teams then utilize that. Of like, okay, Blanco's going to go. It's going to pull Mastorani out, but there's going to be then somebody else who fills in in the middle, and now they're open. I don't think we saw that very no, much in this game. I agree. I agree. That didn't happen at all. Um, all right, we're still going through the U.S. lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the 5-3. The, the yep. Up top was Brian McBride, mm-hmm. a 29-year-old Brian McBride. Hadn't even moved to Fulham yet. Um, uh, Brian McBride, Josh Wolf, sort of alongside him, mm-hmm. underneath him. They move around a little bit, yep. right? But I think the goal was McBride's the target man, Wolf runs off him, mm-hmm. and maybe Donovan runs off him as well. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Is and that it, a rough, rough shape? I would say so, because they, they were kind of routinely in a, I'm going to get my numbers wrong here, but it was like a three... 
four one 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 on uh, goal kicks. That adds that, up to eleven. Uh, okay, maybe maybe it's one too many. Oh no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah, ten. You're right. Yeah, but it was basically like a, a very narrow three center backs on the U.S. goal kicks, and then you would always have Brian McBride dropping in to try to flick that header onto Josh Wolf. Yeah, that was definitely his role in this game was facilitate, link up, hold up, do whatever you can to cause problems for Mexico because you will not be getting much assistance. Well, here's the the big thing with this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember this as like a brilliant US performance where they went toe-to-toe with Mexico so and came out 2-0 victors. When you rewatch, yeah. it is absolutely, we're on the back foot, uh-huh. we're scrambling, uh-huh. we're defending for our lives, and when we get the ball, all we're going to do is either dump it in the corner or chip it long and hope Brian McBride can win a header. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is... It is a game plan that accepts that we are the second best team here and we're going to have to fight and scrap to try and get a result. Yeah. This was a real surprise to me re-watching it. It's not what I remember. And one of the only things I, I sort of take issue with, disagree with from that oral history, I'm not even saying that like like the stories themselves are incorrect or anything like that, don't get me wrong. It's just more so that the narrative was this, like, oh, the pressure was on us, the United States knew it, they invited that pressure and we panicked. And I'm sure that's part of it. But it it, it, it is definitely the case that it was a lot of like, looking long for McBride and hope something happens. And it wasn't quite the, like, organized, like, we're going to invite that pressure and we're going to be so defensively no. organized that you guys are going to get really mad. It McBride was sort of, we're going to invite the pressure and hope. McBride did really well and sometimes we'd win flick-ons yep. and there was no one there, mm-hmm. right? This is, a, this is a, a very basic plan, not a terrible basic plan, but it requires a lot of effort and a lot of luck mm-hmm. for it to come right on the day. Yes. Is that fair? Yes. The, yeah. the one thing I'd really credit the US with is maybe mental strength, which is on display throughout this game. But it was not the tactical masterclass I was expecting. And it was not a sort of, oh, look at everybody's technique masterclass mm-hmm. I was expecting. Brian McBride, who was brilliant in this game, he has a whiff at the top of the box he does. At, at some point mm-hmm. in the first half. Landon right? Donovan misses second the sitter half, in the second half as well. Yeah, he does. He nearly makes it mm-hmm. 3-0. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he creates Dossacero by missing a like, 93rd minute. That's good of him. He knew the significance and he went with it. <laughs> All right, before we get into the goals, mm-hmm. let's talk about today's sponsor. Let's do it. Today's Soccer 101 is sponsored by ExpressVPN, our old friends at ExpressVPN. If you don't know what a VPN is, do you know what it stands for, Taylor? Virtual private network. Virtual private network. A VPN creates a virtual private, not network. (laughs) (laughs) Network is when you're tying the tie. Uh A network, a virtual private network is where you can essentially Mm. have your, your internet be coming from wherever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So you can tell uh, the servers that you are in the UK, you are in Germany, you're in the Netherlands, you're in Japan, anywhere you want to be so you can access content from those countries. You are no longer geo blocked. Right. Even let's say you're watching um, a certain soccer league um, that takes place and it's like a major sort of league. Yeah. Um, and, but there are geographical blackouts. <laughs> and so certain games you can't watch yeah. on certain services. Um, you can even sort of be within your own country, but be in a different place within your own country. Mm-hmm. So you can get around the geo blocking right. with a VPN. It's also... You don't have to be Ron Swanson who finds out about cookies and then has to throw his entire computer away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm throwing it in the trash. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, the P stands for private because um, your internet provider does not know where you're going online because it's all all going through the VPN. Yeah, and the way it, it does that is by hiding your IP address so you can control what uh, where you want the sites to think you're from. So yep. you can say, I'm from England, and that way you can access uh, certain, uh, let's say, like if they wanted to cover the days, the games that happened on that particular day, yep. uh, there are programs that you could watch from England, <laughs> but you could also use it to access, uh, as we've said previously. Like the days uh, matches. Yeah, like just as an example. Uh, but then if you wanted to a- a- access uh, various Netflixes from around the world, you could do that. So maybe I there are offerings the in different ones. Netfly, of yeah. course. 
yes, you could do that as well. <laughs> um, so if you would like to get um, a VPN, one of the best you can get, the best you can get mm-hmm. is ExpressVPN. Genuinely, Talia and I have used this. Genuinely, it is the fastest VPN um, yep. that, that I've used. I always rely on it knowing that the you can you, you can get high-def streaming. Everything mm-hmm. comes in nice and high quality. And if you go to expressvpn.com slash soccer, you sign up for a year and you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So support Soccer 101, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash soccer expressvpn.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode. Daryl Grove, where shall we go next in USA 2, Mexico 0? I want to go to the eighth minute All right. where the USA take a 1-0 lead mm-hmm. through Brian McBride. Okay. I think it's really important, given the US game plan that we just <laughs> described, like defend, 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 hope we get something on the counter, mm-hmm. basically, right? The fact that the US score after eight minutes means that the U.S. can just double down on that game plan and Mexico can start to panic yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it because is the luckiest, not luckiest, but it is it's pretty lucky. the absolute best thing that could have happened to the U.S. in the eighth minute is to go one nil. Absolutely, because again, I remembered this as being sort of a like, oh, USA, defensive, masterclass, counterattacking, frustrated, never let Mexico through. And in reality, watching this one, it looks like a perfect combination of a knockout round game when everybody's a little bit anxious combined with a rivalry game when the two teams are very familiar with each other. Yeah. And it brings about that like, I'm going to kick it long. Now we're going to kick it long. Now we're going to kick it long back to you. It's just very frenetic. It's all over the place. Like the minute before this happens, John O'Brien goes in for a challenge, maybe could have been been booked, and it cuts to Bruce Arena, and that's when he very clearly, maybe with an expletive in there, screams like, John, calm down. Yeah. And it's just like everybody was so amped up that you could— Quite a few Bruce Arena swears Oh, yeah. Oh, both, there definitely were. Both uh, the like, mouthing, mm-hmm. you can lip-read very easily, yep. and sometimes you can just hear him. Yes, also that. <laughs> so I think— that it was so, so sort of frenetic and all over the place, I think, was not favoring the United States. And I think that they're able to calm it down for at least one minute and take yeah. advantage of sort of some lax defending from Mexico yep. absolutely changes the face of this game. OK, I want to talk us through the goal. Okay. Game. It starts with Claudio Reyna, right wing back mm-hmm. from deep, doing a thing that most right wing backs wouldn't do if they were normal right wing backs. Right. He yep. does a thing that a number 10 would do. Mm-hmm. He chips the ball forward looking for his center forward. Mm-hmm. He is aiming for the head of Brian McBride. Right. McBride goes up, gets fouled. He does. Who, fa- who fouls him? Uh, I can't remember who it was. It's one of the center backs who I think has tracked him out, but it's a shove in the back that then sort of skips on to Josh Wolf, who I think miscontrols and maybe also gets fouled. And I, and I highlight that only because it was a point of contention for Mexico afterwards that like, oh, the USA didn't take the free kick from where the foul occurred. Oh, I going- thought it was, the, so it's Carmona was the center back that McBride uh-huh. goes it with. I thought the ref called it for Carmona's foul on McBride. He did. That's what I'm saying. Ah. I think the Mexican players thought it was for the perceived foul on Josh Wolf, which does happen about five yards up the field but the free kick ends up being taken roughly from where McBride is shoved in the back by McBride and I think that's why that that sort of complaint came from the Mexico players so this is now I understand this better this Mm -hmm. is McBride taking advantage of Mexico being confused about where the free kick should be taken Mm -hmm. from because they're still complaining and they're not set at all right they're absolutely not ready to defend Mm -hmm. this Claudio Reyna, from deep, he started that right deep wing-back position. I don't know if he knows that all this is going on, but he finds a horse and gets on it. Mm-hmm. And he is absolutely sprinting down that yep. right flank for, I'm going to say, the first and only time in this game. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> but Bright sees him come in and quickly takes the free kick. 
into Reina's path, right? Mm-hmm. And Reina is Reina's being followed um, by loosely, I would say. Yeah. Yes. Who's, who's the guy following him? Is it? Uh, I think it's, it's uh, Ramon Morales. Which yes. I think, which I so think, he's the left wing back from Mexico. Yeah. And I think part of part of the narrative after this uh, was that Morales gets subbed out in the 28th minute, and like, oh, that was him being uh, like called out for letting Reina get it on the end of this one or let, make something happen. And I think in reality, it's just sort of like, oh, the United States aren't going to attack at all. We can put on another attacker and make something happen. Yeah. But I just highlight that here to say it wasn't. It was Morales who was trying to stay with Reyna and who's a little bit late to it. Yep. But I don't think that this is the reason why he substituted. I don't think That's it's a, a massive error or but anything. But Reyna like does take him by surprise he by taking does. off because I think he hasn't he hasn't mm-hmm. really attacked yet no. this whole game, right? So Morales is trailing him. McBride sees it. McBride takes it quickly because Mexico are confused. They're still arguing about where the free kick should be taken from. Reyna, he's not really in at this point, right? But mm-hmm. he's over the halfway line and away he goes. Yeah. Morales never catches him. Um, there's a slide tackle that. I think would have got him if Reina doesn't do a very clever thing and he's very right-footed, right, Claudio Reina? Takes a touch with his left foot mm-hmm. that I think um, surprises the slide tackler yep. and just puts it the other side and away Reina goes. Mm-hmm. And 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 I want to jump ahead just for a moment to the second goal just to say it's worth noting both of these goals come from un- like like uns- or unseen surprising runs basically from the wingbacks getting forward and then delivering yep. uh, inch-perfect crosses, which again is where I think Bruce Arena... Maybe not lucked into, but was a, like you can see what he was getting at. Of I want people who, if we do get forward, can make something happen as opposed to crossing it straight out of bounds. Yes. Here, Reina gets to that end line, and I think at that point, the Mexican players think, "Okay, this one's pretty much done. Like, there's no nowhere this can really go. He's just going to loft it in. We'll we'll like goalkeeper will catch it. We'll be good to go." Uh-huh. And instead, I think intentionally he plays it into the feet of John O'Brien. No, it's Josh Wolf. Josh Wolf, excuse yeah, me. I always Cla- think it's John O'Brien because it's John O'Brien against Portugal. That's so what throws me Yeah, Claudio yeah. Reyna gets to the mm-hmm. end line. The only ball he has is into the feet of Josh Wolf, mm-hmm. who is also like on the end line, round about the six yard box. Mm-hmm. And he is marked from both sides by Marquez and yeah. Vidrio, right? So when Wolf receives the ball, he really has nowhere to go, right? He can't turn and go at goal. There's not really any option. Except he does it. Okay, talk us through it, and then I have questions. Except Brian McBride, wide open mm-hmm. at the top of the box, and Josh Wolf. One touch as Reina plays this ball into him, just with the outside of his foot, reverses it and manages to um, slide the ball back up to the top of the box to Brian McBride. He definitely means touch. to do this, right? Yes, okay. I'm certain. Okay. I'm certain Brian McBride is calling for it yeah, as well. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because watching it again, it looks for a moment like, oh, he's just gone for the sort of desperation flick on in hope that somebody is it's there. It's too perfect. It's it really too perfectly is. into the mm-hmm. path of his strike partner for this not to be deliberate. Yeah. And it was also, if you look at it, it's the only good option he yeah. has, right? If he settles the ball, he's got Marquez and Vidrio will just collapse on top of him and at best he's winning a corner kick mm-hmm. or maybe he's having to send it back out wide and the US starts again. I think this is the perfect touch. No, it absolutely is, and it, and it is just uh, it's and it's a great finish on the end. It's like the Brian McBride spring loaded run up and smash. Yeah. That I talked about this previously, but it's you you would uh, like understand if Mexico felt very surprised and confused by this one because from a sort of rugged just kick it long and we're going to battle for the first few minutes to like like uh, Claudio Reyna making a very smart run, writing a challenge, delivering a perfect ball, then an excellent like outside of the foot one time flick, and then a great finish. It's just like, wait, wait, where was this technical position a moment ago? <laughs> we didn't know you guys could. <laughs> What's do this now? This? Yeah, I want to talk about why Brian McBride was free. Sure, I've only just figured it out. The mm-hmm. guy that I, I couldn't remember, he goes over to try and slide tackle Claudio mm-hmm. Reyna. That's Carmona. Mm-hmm. That's the left centre back who was challenging Brian McBride. Right. So I think the left centre back is missing. Mm-hmm. The other centre backs, Vidro and Marquez, are attracted to Josh Wolf. Mm-hmm. If you re- there's a really cool like um, almost aerial angle you can watch this from on the replay. Mm-hmm. Couple like not long after the goal, and you see that McBride is essentially just in the top of the attacking third. Suddenly finds himself hundred percent unmarked mm-hmm. and wisely just 
jogs forward almost like yep. he's in quiet place <laughs> yeah. just doesn't want to make just any me noise not, yeah attracting attention to myself <laughs> yeah, not attracting attention that's why he ends up wide open at the top of the 18 it is and one I think nil USA. i'm gonna say 99 percent that but one percent is as we've already talked about quickly replaying uh getting that free kick back into play i think it catches mexico out and then they're scrambling and if you're scrambling you're not paying attention yeah. to the obvious threats mm-hmm. brian mcbride is therefore open at the top of the box one nil my wife was watching this with me she described his goal as very gazelle like and then like a little kid in that he took about a million steps before he shot the he ball. Did say, he wanted to make sure. <laughs> he really right? did. And then you said it was like spring-loaded, the it, way he yeah. finds that sort of uh, mm-hmm. far left corner. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely perfect. It's a great finish. Before we talk about the second goal, the yeah. US goes 2-0 up in, what, the 65th minute mm-hmm. um, in the second half. I do want to talk about the tactical change sure. that Mexico make, right? So up to this point, they've had the centre-forward, Borgetti, mm-hmm. has been up against the US's back three, and he's essentially got lost in the forest of centre-backs, mm-hmm. right? There's just He can't get on the ball. Bearhalter's with him or Sanna's with him or Pope's with him. Or he's offside. Sometimes correctly, sometimes, sometimes yeah. incorrectly, but it's a lot of offside from him. Right, and then his... Strike partner, quote unquote, is mm-hmm. like we talked about Blanco, who's not really a strike partner, right? He's got a free role to go roaming. So then he's off somewhere else. And there's just, it's not working for Mexico no, at all, right? Not at all. And even they should have had an overload in midfield, but the US wisely would have a, a striker come back and make up the numbers or a centre back sometimes step out and make up the numbers because mm-hmm. they could spare a centre back, right? Because there's only Borgetti to deal with. So Javier Aguirre, I think, wisely in the 28th minute says, this isn't working. Let's get another striker in there to play alongside mm-hmm. Borgetti, right? And this is when uh, Luis Hernandez, El Matador, mm-hmm. uh, comes in yep. to partner Borgetti. Yep. This is the thing, you uh, hinted at this earlier, where we massively disagree with Bruce Arena. Yeah. <laughs> so he saw, he saw this as what? Like uh, Mexico waving the white flag. We he, got this totally wrong. I've got the exact quote mm-hmm. from the Ariel Castillo MLS article. Once they took Morales out, it was like waving the white flag. They knew they'd screwed up. Yeah. And screwed is in uh, parentheses. Mm-hmm. I think there might be a swear in there in yeah. the original version. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think knowing that, uh, like, because I think we, we had talked about this game previously, and then I, I may have stopped mid-game to read this oral history because I remembered it existed. And I remember thinking, like, oh, okay, there must be some big tactical change. And instead, it's just like, oh, no, they just moved another attacker to left wing back and put a forward in at the forward yeah. spot. Like, no, they just committed to attacking. And but here's the big thing. It sort of paid off. They oh, didn't yeah. equalize, but they suddenly had a lot more mm-hmm. pressure on the US and looked a lot more dangerous. I don't think it's waving the white flag. I think they correctly recognized, all right, this shape isn't working for this game. Here's a new shape with mm-hmm. two strikers, a, sli- a slightly more attacking yep. shape. And now we're going to come at you. Yep. And they have multiple chances uh, to score. I think the, the best of which is, what, the 35th minute? Mm-hmm. Horrible oh, yeah. clearance. Balls played back in. I think there's a cross that's kind of uh, a shot that's kind of blocked by Tony Sanna. Mm-hmm loops up into the air Brian McBride has a terrible punch mm-hmm. punches it straight to Katamic Blanco basically on the penalty spot yep. Blanco takes it on his chest if he'd had a better touch on his chest I'm sure Blanco scores this because yep. he was sort of wide open on the penalty spot yep. right it would be like a penalty kick but you can t- take a couple of touches he takes a slightly loose touch with his uh, pectoral mm-hmm. and Mascherani is able to just tangle his legs up and make it hard for Blanco and then I think McBride uh, excuse me uh, Friedel still has to save yep. the shot right this should have been Mexico's equalizer it should have been yeah. and, and could have been and and it's because and it comes from having two strikers. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it comes from having two strikers. It comes from having numbers in there and causing the United States confusion. And I think that was a thing that Mexico really didn't do enough of. They, once the substitution happens, they're in much more of a 3-2-3-2 three, two, three, two almost yeah. with the back three spread very, very uh-huh. wide, essentially blocking off the channels. And then it's Rafa Marquez in the middle just kind of policing uh, balls. Toronto drops in. But you have that shape. It seems like you should then have more opportunities. But 
they just did not have the kind of fluidity, again, that I think you would see today. There'd be a lot more positional interchange to, to, to try to throw the United States off. Yeah. Instead, the United States kind of just content to ride their luck and crowd the numbers in the middle. Occasionally that gets exploited, but yeah. probably not enough. Obviously not enough if you're an L3 fan. But they do ride their luck mm-hmm. because um, I can't remember the minute, but there is a cross that comes. It might be immediately after that, um, that Blanco mm-hmm. uh, strike. Uh, there's a cross that comes in from a corner kick. John O'Brien 100% punches this clear. Yeah. He's like in the six-yard box, handles it, punches it clear. This absolutely should have been a penalty kick. In today's game, VAR catches this, and the U.S. can see the penalty kick for a John O'Brien handball. Uh, 55th minute was 55th the corner. Minute, yeah, yeah. Because so, in, so it's second half. Because in the second half, again, uh, uh, at halftime, Vidrio comes off, uh, Mercado comes on. And again, I would have thought like, oh, okay, this is another big change. Now they're going to go to a back four and commit even more numbers forward, and it's not. It's just Vidrio got a very reckless yellow card, I think wasn't as good on the ball as Aguirre would have liked, and so it's a center back for a center back substitution at halftime. But it still, I think, re, like, reinvigorates Mexico, gives them a lot of momentum, and in those first 15 minutes or so of the second half, they really are overrunning the United States. Yep. There's the one where they have the free kick taken that Friedel barely turns onto the post and then that goes or onto the crossbar and that goes over. But it's a lot of chances for Mexico, USA getting very fortunate. So the, the O'Brien handball I just talked mm-hmm. about, it comes after a Greg Berhalter last-ditch tackle yep. on Hernandez. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of last-ditch tackles. That's my evidence for Mexico putting pressure on, is yep. a lot of US last-ditch tackles. Yeah. I want to talk about this O'Brien handball a little bit more, right? We mm-hmm. don't. There's no debate about whether it's a handball or not. No. He absolutely mm-hmm. like, handles it. Yep. Is it deliberate? Is it sort of a Maradona, I'm going to punch this clear kind of thing? Or is it just, my arms are in the air because I'm trying to jump and it hits my arm? I think it's that, and, and I don't think that's homerism as much as it is just blurriness of the uh, of the camera and of the angle, that it looks to me like he's trying to jump in to win it and just kind of the hand gets there first and knocks it away from Blanco. And I say that because, mostly because I don't think Blanco is enough of a threat that in that moment John O'Brien is thinking like, oh, I'm beaten, it's a wide open header. It's not yeah. even the equivalent of when Donov- Donovan scores the second goal, mm-hmm. which is just a like very threatening header. I think it's just O'Brien trying to make a play on the ball, being awkward. We've seen this happen uh, fairly often in the World Cup, in fact. Here's my other question. Mm-hmm. Is this moment under-remembered? Yes. Because so much we hear about the Torsten Frings handball for yes. Germany in the quarterfinal. I mm-hmm. had forgotten this O'Brien handball happened yep. until I rewatched this Me game. Too. It is not part of American soccer folklore. Dave Sarakin didn't. I think it's one of those things that we've uh, kind of just washed out of history yeah. when maybe it should still be there. He said in the oral history, like, we got a little bit lucky there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, and I think, like... That also, uh, to the U.S., to your point about the United States then having to do the sort of last-ditch defending a lot of challenges flying in, I do think that explains some of the things that happen later because as the United States get get more, not even desperate, but just more sort of rugged in their defending, if you're putting, if you're putting a foot in to try to win the ball, oftentimes it means there's going to be yeah, some yeah. contact. And the I think gets five yellow cards yeah, in this game. I think it ratchets up the intensity and ratchets yeah. up that sort of physicality as well. The game is remembered for Mexico melting down towards yeah. the end. I think we'll take a look at that as mm-hmm. the final part of this show. But the U.S. is plenty rough and plenty slightly clumsy tackles yeah. throughout this game for those for those five yellow cards. We've mm-hmm. got to wait the second goal. Let's do it. 65th minute. Yep. It weirdly starts with a nice move by Luis Hernandez. So Mercado, oh, does. who has come on to replace Vidrio, he's mm-hmm. the right centre-back. He plays the ball into the feet of Luis Hernandez. Mm-hmm. And Hernandez does one of those moves that's one of my favourites. It's where you fake like you're going to receive yep. the ball, but then you just let it run past you, right? And I think the idea was to let it run to Borgetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, a US defender, I think it's Sana, it steps out, mm-hmm. gets there first, wins it. 
gives it to Cody Arena, who has accidentally wandered into central midfield. Can I, can I interject for one moment to add that, yes, that everything you've just described happens, but it's because the United States have done a really good job of blocking off passing options. I think they wanted that ball into the middle because they had the numbers. They wanted that dummy to happen because then Sana can step. But that was a moment I watched this goal like 40 times. That was a moment that I thought was a good like sign of what the United States were doing in yeah. not letting Mexico sort of spread the field and possess as long as they wanted. This was one of the few moments they kind of came under pressure higher up and they turned the ball over. And now the United States able to exploit the fact that they committed numbers forward while yes. being high up the so field. So this is a big U.S. counterattack, mm-hmm. right? So Reina gives it to, um, I believe, John O'Brien. Um, O'Brien has a couple of touches and Eddie Lewis mm-hmm. in one of his, it's his maybe only attacking, for, it's not the only one, but it's one of his, it's a rare attacking foray down the left. He does the reverse, mm-hmm. the mirror image of Claudio Reina, right? Mm-hmm. Eddie Lewis, Borrows the same horse. Away he goes down the left wing. John O'Brien, couple touches. This is the thing that I love. Plays it ahead of Eddie Lewis. Yeah, and it's it's Eddie Lewis. As soon as the ball goes uh, from Reyna into the feet of John O'Brien, John O'Brien is facing his own goal. As soon as that ball is received by O'Brien, Eddie Lewis, who's 20 yards behind him, is already at a full sprint. Mm-hmm. And John O'Brien sees that happening, turns, takes a few touches, deliberately pulling in the Mexican players, then lobs that ball into the channel. But he buys Eddie Lewis that time. He sees that run happening. That little bit of awareness, thank you, IX, that little bit of awareness, <laughs> I think, is the massive difference here. Because if he just tries to turn and go or tries yeah. to turn and play that ball in first time, it's not going to get there. Eddie Lewis won't be in position. But because he just slows it down just a little bit, then springs that attack, it's an excellent ball it's a great run from Eddie Lewis and um, Ariano mm-hmm. the uh, Mexico right wing back is mm-hmm. chasing Eddie Lewis all the way but yep. never ever mm-hmm. ever catches him he's committed that far forward yeah. yeah so Lewis gets to the end line uh, crosses in uh, it lands very um, deliberately on the head of the advancing Landon Donovan. Mm-hmm. Donovan heads it home to make it Dos Acero um, not for the last time I don't think no um, Landon Donovan, not unmarked, he has Torado mm-hmm. trailing him. And there's a terrible irony here for Torado, which yep. is Donovan has followed him around the whole game, made his life really difficult, made it really hard for Mexico to play to Torado. The, one of the few times the ball goes the other way, Torado mm-hmm. is just a couple steps off of Landon Donovan yeah. for half the length of the field. Yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially just that he has let Donovan drift into like towards Mexico's defense because how is the United States going to get through? They haven't done that except for the one time this game. Yep. So I don't really need to worry about this until that ball over the top finds Lewis. And then suddenly I think the entire Mexico defense realizes, uh-oh, we're flying through the air and this is not good right now. It is not. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment on, 2-0 knowing that U.S. are beating them with a defending counter strategy. There's only 20-something minutes left. This is where Mexico start to mm-hmm. lose their cool and and fall apart, yep. right? There are moments of it's not just the, the Rafa Marquez red card and some bad decisions and some bad tackles. Um, there's there's little things like the ball back to the uh, I can't remember the goalkeeper's name. Is it Lopez? Mm-hmm. Uh, the ball back to the keeper and then he completely think, yeah. miscontrols it and runs it out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think panicky you, moments. Basically. Yeah, like you start to see those sort of moments add up, and I think you combine that with uh, Mexico having already burned two substitutions at halftime. They burn their third one. Perez like, was the goalkeeper. Uh, excuse thank me. Thank you. Uh, fairly. Fairly, fairly early into the second half and you like contrast that with what the United States did of sort of bringing in uh, Ernie Stewart for Josh Wolf when it was clear that Josh, Stew- uh, Josh Wolf was gassed yeah. Ernie Stewart brings the veteran presence mm-hmm. and I think the veteran know-how and has played a lot of games against Mexico has already played in a World Cup 33 at this point yeah, right? uh, yeah. I think I, I wrote that down right, right before we started the three subs for the United States Ernie Stewart 33 Kobe Jones 31 Carlos Yumosa at the very very end 32 years old so Arena slowly brings mm-hmm. in more and more experience yes. right? and Mastroeni was 
getting himself he actually wasn't getting himself into trouble but I think Blanco at least had got sick of being followed around mm-hmm. by him and seemed determined to yeah. provoke Mastroeni into getting a red card do you yeah. know the moment I'm thinking of where there's a tackle where Mastroeni does kind of foul mm-hmm. him and brings Blanco down but Blanco deliberately tries to tussle with him on the yep. floor tries to give him a shove on the way yep. up tries to get in his face he's mm-hmm. really looking for a reaction from Mastroeni doesn't get it, no. but I think Arena is still wise to bring Mastro in here. Yeah, because, because I mean we've seen this before. A referee gives a straight red for for violent conduct. Uh, the red card obviously had not happened at this point, but there is that inclination from referees. I think not necessarily to be like, oh, I gave one to you, I'll give one to you, but just you want to keep things balanced. And one way you keep things balanced is if one team is feeling very, very, very hard done by, there can be that inclination to like, all right, well, I'm going to give a card here. That's going to calm things down. And I think, yeah, to your point, it's a credit to Bruce Arena realizing, yeah, we're not getting the makeup revenge yellow card, red card, whatever. Yeah. I will make this change to make sure this game goes the way we need it to. Send in some cool heads, right? Mm-hmm. And apparently send in a target in Kobe Jones because yeah. it's Kobe Jones that Rafa Marquez fouls in the uh-huh. 88th minute for the famous red card yep. that really is Marquez. Just deliberate. He's pressing the, the commentator says button, it's, right? it's bordering assault. Yeah. Right? He goes flying through the air literally yep. with his foot mm-hmm. aiming to hit Jones and Which then he his does. head going straight into the side of Kobe Jones' Which head. He He's absolutely looking to... Yeah to take him out yeah. Jones is in no doubt about this he says like, you don't accidentally hit mm. me with your with the top and the bottom I mean, it's like a flying kick it's like a Mortal yeah. Kombat kick it's a flying kick yeah. and a headbutt Luke Kang would have been proud all at once right but this is just like the it's the culmination of a series of fouls on Kobe Jones mm-hmm. and I don't know why he was such a target is it because Mexico were familiar Dude, with I, him over the years I, I is it because he's a bit dribbly and he like has that little still has that burst of pace that Mexico just think oh we've got to take him down before he goes anywhere? I texted some friends of ours who, who know Kobe Jones to ask if he knows Spanish because I did wonder if he came in and was immediately running his mouth he comes on in the 79th minute he comes on for Brian McBride is instantly fouled uh i think it doesn't get given as a foul but is knocked over and then like is stepped over as the player goes to get the ball luna i think steps right over him and he takes issue with that two minutes later oh, he, he just is, like catches him with his thigh yeah like, catches him with the inside of his leg lots yeah. of little tricks to try and get kobe exactly jones to and then yeah. kobe jones crushed by Aspe two minutes later mm-hmm. that one is given as a free kick but it was just sort of like okay kobe jones is doing things that annoy them and i think he does in terms of he kind of gets in their face a little bit but also he is not uh, shy about taking people on and about doing little flicks and tricks when mm-hmm. he feels like it, and I think Holding in this game, it in the corner, running yeah, the clock down, yeah, yeah, and he gets stepped on by Mercado for that one as well. So yeah, I think Kobe Jones, it definitely, it's the line from Star Wars with the Millennium Falcon where they're like, they really hate that ship. <laughs> it's, it's that's what Kobe Jones was for Mexico, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect comparison. That is the absolutely perfect comparison. So yeah, Marcus gets sent off, and that is it's really over at that point, right? Yeah. And again, it could have been three 0 There's a Kobe Jones brilliant cross to Donovan, mm-hmm. who has essentially an open goal. He's just got to yeah. side foot it in. He doesn't even look like he leans back enough to lift this ball over. He just connects incorrectly, mm-hmm. I think. Unless, yeah. Do you have a different read? Was there something, something no. technique-wise about Donovan, why this ball is lifted over the bar and not like, middle of the goal 3-0? I, uh, honestly, like my, my uh, nonsense speculation, so feel free to di- disregard, is that for the first goal for Donovan, the second goal for the United States, that ball is so perfect from Eddie Lewis, and he is so focused on like sprinting forward, keeping the distance away uh, from Toronto, being in the right spot, and it is so perfect that he just has to get ahead on it and put it in. Yeah. And I I do wonder if this one, he just has a little bit too much time to think about it. I see. And has a little bit too much time to be like, I better not mess this up. I could kill it off. I could be a hero. And as you're thinking <laughs> that when you hit, it might not be the best. I had a question for 
you about the Marquez Red, though. Just yeah. going back to that for one moment. Do you feel like this is the game that sort of makes him a villain in American Eyes? Not just for the red card, but for the way he acts afterwards? Because my wife watching this did not have a memory of this game, didn't watch it live, yeah. but knew instantly, like, oh, that guy seems like a jerk. Because he just walks off. There is no remorse. There is no prote- protestation. There's a, there's a look in his eye of, like, I know what I did, and I'm glad I did it. And I do I not knew, regret it. Yeah. I knew that we'd lost, and I wanted to do this just to Casually drinking a water bottle on the way out. Like, he yeah. definitely has no remorse and knows exactly what he's done. And I do wonder if that's the moment where it's just like, okay, I, I'm not going to like that guy forever. I'm pretty confident I'm correct here. Rafa Marquez at that point was only like 22 years old. Wow. He was captain of wow. Mexico and he was playing that sort of yeah. middle center back libero type role, carrying all the responsibility wow. at just 22 years old. I'm going to sort of uh, quietly look this up while we're talking. That's fair. Because I mean, <laughs> aside from that moment, I thought he had a good game, to your point. He's he, very dangerous bringing the ball out of the back mm-hmm. from the middle. Yeah. He's very good defensively. We forget, because we always talk about Marquez the villain, we forget that Marquez is an ap- was an absolutely magnificent footballer. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I have seen this movie before of Rafa Marquez gets the ball and sort of almost has that, like, I'll do it myself. And just drives forward. I think he draws a foul or plays somebody in. And it's, I think it's when Luis Hernandez has the dive in the box. I think it's Rafa Marquez playing him the ball. Mm-hmm. And But just there, I feel like I have seen that years later of, like, oh, no, Rafa Marquez has the, oh, he just scored. Or, like, oh, he just set up a goal. Okay, so Marquez born mm-hmm. February 79, which okay. I think makes him 22 in okay. 2002. Right. Um, so, yes. But here's the other thing with Rafa Marquez. He also kind of ends Dossacero. Oh, yeah, he does. So it starts here mm-hmm. with him with this red card mm-hmm. and, you know, being one of the key figures from Mexico in this game. It continues all the way up until what? It's like November 2017 where it's at Columbus, the U.S. hosts. Um, it's the beginning of the end for Klinsman. Mm-hmm. It's where Mexico win. I want to say 2-1 with a late header from Rafa Marquez. Like really late career Rafa Marquez on a corner. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if Marquez looks back on his career, looks at that red card as like maybe a real low point yeah. and looks at like towards the end of his international career of... Okay, it took more than a decade. It took me it took me 15 years, but I fixed it. Knowing how most professional <laughs> athletes think, I'm going to guess that he walked away from this game thinking they didn't deserve to win this. We just had a bad game. Yeah. They got really lucky. Give me a decade that red and a card half. was deserved. I'll be back for <laughs> my be, revenge. Yeah. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any US performances we want to highlight? Yeah, I mean, I think Brian McBride deserves massive credit yes. because he did a lot of thankless work in this one. There were definitely just moments when you could see US players like, all right, I got to give him at least two seconds before I play him the ball again. <laughs> like, just moments of, like, I know he's not going to get this, but I'm going to give him at least two seconds to try to make a run for it, mm-hmm. and then I'll play him the ball. But I thought he, I think he did so much good running, got so many fouls, got knocked around so much. It's not just about winning balls in the no. air, right? It's a lot of making smart runs to be available yeah. uh, with balls to feed. It's mm-hmm. a lot about holding the ball up because he didn't have many. It's not like he would hold the ball up and then seven players would rush around right. him and past him for him to lay it off to. Mm-hmm. It was really like, hey, you can give this to Josh Wolf or maybe Landon Donovan. Yeah. Everybody else is going to stay behind the halfway line because we don't want Mexico to attack us, right? So it was McBride doing a wonderful job with not a lot to work with. No, and then really like every time one of the center backs had the ball and didn't know what else to do with it, they were looking for McBride. Same thing for Eddie Lewis, same thing for Claudio Reyna. It was long balls in for McBride, and sometimes those came off. A lot of the time it meant he was getting knocked in the air or a little shove or a little bit of interference, but those not that up. Sometimes you just win a free kick. Also that. And you take that free kick quickly. Also that. And you're 1-0 up in the eighth minute. Sometimes that. Yeah. Uh, Tony Sana, we yep. haven't talked mm-hmm. about. He played right centre-back. He's so good. Which is a little out of position for him because mm-hmm. this whole tournament he'd been playing right-back. What I really love is he played right centre-back, did all the defending of a right centre-back, but still had 
two or three of those like overlapping right back mm-hmm. runs where he was just like it's almost like sense memory of oh this is what I used to do. Yep. Away we go. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think it's it's a it's a really strong performance from him and one that we saw again against Germany in the next round. But it's it's him like defensively being pretty solid. I don't remember him putting too many passes, if any passes, wrong. Mm. And then and at the very end, he is an outlet when he drives yeah. forward with the ball. It's like a Sheffield United centre back. Yeah. He, yeah. We go alleviating <laughs> pressure. The other thing I thought was it was really hard for me to watch this game now knowing how it went for Bruce Arena the second time around, and I did feel like I saw some things in there that I was like, oh, that was always kind of a thing. The one thing I'll say that maybe is a credit to Bruce Arena, did you realize that the back three at the end was a D.C. United back three? That it's three center backs he coached at D.C. United. It's Carlos Mimosa, Eddie Pope, and Tony Sana. So it's those three that I think it's like players. Where was uh, I think, well, Yamosa comes in for, excuse me, when Yamosa yeah, comes in plays for, defensive midfield. I'm not training, but I'm saying those three players I all were DC United players that so I think he knew what he could get from them. He went with the guys he knew and trusted. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I saw. It worked. It did. It worked. But I mean, he, again, maybe shouldn't have done that in 2006. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe there's some players he took in 2006 because they'd done a job for him in yeah. 2002 that maybe didn't need to go. This is maybe a whole separate conversation. See, this, but yeah. this is what I'm saying. Is like, And maybe there's some players that like he relied on because he thought he knew what he could get out of them. And it's like, oh, they've been here before. They'll be able to do it again. Yeah. Maybe like, maybe Claudio Reyna didn't deserve a DP contract in 2007 at yeah. New York Red Bulls. Maybe that. Yeah. And then maybe, just maybe, when Mexico have all of those many, many chances in the second half that easily could have uh, equalized, it easily could have gone the other way, maybe make some changes a little bit faster. He ends yeah. up making the first one of the 59th so that's a credit to him but there's definitely a moment when I thought like I have seen Bruce Arena not make changes when changes were needed uh-huh. and it was a disastrous result knowing that it wasn't going to be here was less stressful but still just a little thing that I noted all right I don't want to complain too much uh-huh. though because this is one of the landmark results yeah. in American soccer history mm-hmm. it is USA 2 Mexico nil in the round of 16 at the 2002 World Cup. there we go uh, we it doesn't feel like we've sung the praises of Brad Friedel, okay. and, but I'm kind of okay with that because this was another one that I remembered as him being immense between the sticks. He has some big saves. He also has some moments where it was like, "Oh, Brad, that was not what you were supposed to do." The you weird see punch, the nerves there, yeah. The weird punch I talked about. And there's earlier, the one yeah. off the free kick uh, when uh, Hernandez dives, but this time gets the foul. Yeah. Um, uh, Berhalter had some words about that one, uh, and it's and it's kind of delivered in low. It's like a driven cross shot, and he, as I said earlier, like barely turns it over. Does like it kind of like bends his wrist back which is yep. not what you're looking for so it's a good performance but not a great performance i agree but it's also in the history books it's a clean sheet also a clean sheet <laughs> also a clean sheet all right so this has been the first in a new season mm-hmm. of soccer 101 it's officially season three oh boy. of soccer 101 we have the new plan is to do basically an episode a week for the next six or seven weeks so stay subscribed to soccer 101 if you've just found this the show and you've been like who are these two guys Mm -hmm. i'd like to hear more of them i wish they had like a thousand episodes of stuff they'd already (laughs) recorded we have our other show the total soccer show which publishes every day monday through friday we definitely have a thousand episodes we got way more than a thousand episodes (laughs) i was trying to do the math there and then i was just like you know what i'm good i don't need to know i don't need to know how many times we've talked about things so let's wrap up this episode of soccer 101 i've been daryl grove i've been taylor rockwell and thank you for listening to soccer 101